This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Megan Edge. She is a master healer and educator, international radio host, public speaker, and the author of The Heart's Journey, Healing Hearts, Oracle Cards, and Guidebook, and Falling into Being Human, Intuitive Healing, the manual for her highly regarded healer certification program, The Confident Healer, an intensive intuitive healers certification program. Megan is also the creator of the Intuitive Energy Massage Practitioner Certification, an innovative new energy healing modality. Megan offers mind, body, and soul healing through energy healing, intuitive counseling, and aromatherapy. In her private practice, Megan holds space for personal healing, empowering the individual to access their own healing powers. She knows each of us has the potential to unlock our healing abilities, both for ourselves and for others. Megan offers her clients and students the tools and techniques to heal in the moment and to maintain their healing as they move forward on their journey. Megan lives in Victoria, Canada with her two daughters, her husband and their Labradoodle, Frankie. When not holding space for her clients' healing journeys, she can be found combing the local beaches for clams and oysters or tromping through the forests searching for wild mushrooms and plant medicines. To learn more about Megan and her work, please visit meganedge.ca. Here is the interview with Megan Edge. In your own words, who is Megan Edge? Oh, what a beautiful question, Valeria. Hmm. Megan Edge is a woman on a journey with a passion and a mission. And the mission is about building bridges between modern mainstream medicine and alternative or ancient healing systems. And the passion is about empowering people to understand and know what their own potential is for their own healing uh, with the help of someone like myself, but to know that they have that capacity within themselves to heal anything that they need or want to heal in their lives. Sounds wonderful to me. Thank you. Before we talk about some of the topics in your work, the heart's journey, healing hearts, oracle cards, guidebook and journal, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the first one is, what and where is the heart? 
Mm. Well, of course, at the physical level, we know where the heart is in our bodies. But more than that, I feel like the heart is, it's the entire soul. Our heart is really what speaks to us as we move through our lives. And we either learn how to listen to our heart and to follow our heart, or more commonly, we're taught not to listen to our heart and not to follow our heart. So really, the, it's, I think the heart is everywhere. I think it's in how we behave towards one another. I think it's in how we feel about ourselves. I think it's in all of our relationships. And that isn't only the intimate relationships, but those relationships we have with the bus driver or the person at the bank or the grocery store. It's every relationship that we have. There is a potential to bring our heart into those interactions. And so I would say it is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And it is a choice yeah, to listen to it and be guided by the heart, right? Yes, yes. And that's so interesting because I hear that word a lot, that we have the choice to choose the options out there, that we can do one thing or another. And I'm wondering why most of us choose not to follow the heart, to listen to the heart. I've often wondered that myself. Yeah. <laughs> I think that part of it is that it isn't the easiest thing to do to follow our hearts because in my experience, our heart will always tell us the truth of what it is that we want and desire, how it is we want to be in the world, how we want to be in relationship. If we really do listen to what our heart is saying, we will always be guided by that truth. However, the truth of our heart doesn't always fit other people's expectations of us or even our own expectations of ourselves. And it is often easier, or at least it seems on the surface to be easier, to fit ourselves into someone else's expectation of us than it is to stand in our true authenticity. Is there a balance uh, that we can follow our hearts, and, but at the same time, please and love and care for others without losing ourselves in our authenticity? Well, I think that if we're trying to please others, then we are going to lose ourselves at some point. Mm, right. If we are wishing to be in a harmonious relationship with the people around us and with ourselves, then we, can, we are coming from the heart, certainly. But the moment that we start putting pleasing others into that equation, we are stepping out of what our needs are. And I don't mean to suggest that we should only be thinking of ourselves, but there's a difference between having a healthy relationship with others in which we are respectful of them and perhaps make accommodations or compromises when we need to or want to, and being in a position where our motivation is only to please someone else at the expense of ourselves. So when you ask, is this there a balance? Can we be balanced? Well, I don't know that we can be balanced in matters of the heart simply because the heart itself is so fierce. But we can be, we can seek harmony mm. oh. within the heart and the heart's desires. Some people connect them balance and harmony as one thing, but in a way you separated them. I think they're different, and I believe that when we try really hard to achieve balance, we actually undo the harmony that could show up in our lives. And when you think about the definition between balance and harmony, when I think balance, I, I often see the, um, the, the justice, the Liberty Statue of Justice, and she's got, she's weighing the scales. And if, the bal if you're balanced, the scales are at the same place on either side. That's a really challenging place to maintain. If you think of the definition of harmony, which is two separate sounds coming together to create something new and beautiful, and sometimes one sound will take 
will take more energy than the other sound. But as you move through the, the symphony, it blends together to build this really beautiful composition. And I feel that that's more achievable in a human life, in our own lives, than it is to constantly be in a state of balance. Because we're emotional beings. And we're meant to feel things. And not everything we feel is going to be balanced. True. I love what he said. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I never heard it that way. That's refreshing. <laughs> My other question, a warm-up question is, what is another word for healing? Wellness, perhaps. There's, there's a lot of talk in, in the healer's world, the healer's um, communities around healing as an achievement, as something that we should strive for, as though there was something wrong with us that needs to be healed. And I, my personal belief of that is that there is nothing wrong with us at any point in our lives. We are exactly where we need to be and exactly who we need to be. So when I'm working with the word healing, I'm not coming from a place of lack or um, something being not right with a person. What I'm looking at is how do they want to be different than how they are in the moment that they come to me. And we were talking before we started about whether or not a person can be healed. And yes, I think they can be healed. I think they can be healed when we're coming from the perspective that there was nothing wrong in the first place. Which sounds counterintuitive. Um, but as we talk today, uh, I think it will become clear where I'm coming from with that idea. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that truth, actually, I don't see it as an idea anymore. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to be healed, for sure. It's going back to that place. And that the return to that place, that's what takes work. <laughs> Lots of work. I guess. Yes, it, it can. But again, I think it's about the perspective of where we're coming from when we decide that there's something in our lives that doesn't fit anymore, when our skin feels too tight and we realize there's something more or different that we could be doing that would help us feel more harmonious or more balanced, if that's the goal, or happier in, in a place of joy, more confident. If we start to feel that there's something that we could be doing differently, then for me, that's the place where healing begins, is in that recognition. But again, coming from the place that there's nothing wrong there's nothing broken because everything that's ever happened to you in your life has brought you to this moment of realization that there's more potential that you could step into. And so all of it's perfect. True. <laughs> we're taking what has already happened and we're creating something new out of it. It's like a synergistic experience or um, a synergistic moment. I have... Three questions about life. The first one is this open question that you might have heard before. What is life to you, Megan? What is this experience? Not what is about, but what is it? The first thing that comes into my mind in response to that question is pure energy, that life is pure energy. As you're, as you're asking that question, I was feeling into how much I love this planet, how much I love being here. I love the experience of everything around me. I love the experience of my, the wounds that I have. I love the experience of the love that's in my life, of the environment that I'm in, of my home, of my children. I, so I, I, I feel that the answer to that would be that life is experience. And then the free will piece is what we do with that experience. 
Yes, right. The choice is in now, making the choices. My follow-up question is, what do you think is the opposite of this experience we call life? <laughs> you mean what happens in between lifetimes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. That's an open question. Well, I do feel that the life that we see in front of us, there's a lot more to it than we generally are led to believe or even know and recognize. I've certainly had experiences that validate that for me, where I feel that there are other realms, if you want to call them that, or dimensions or layers or levels of comprehension and of intelligence. And that the physical experience that we have being here on the earth and in these lifetimes gives us something very unique that we wouldn't have the experience of in any of these other realms or dimensions. It's why we come here. We come here to be in the physical body. We come here to feel the emotions and to have these experiences that can only be translated through a physical form. And it's one part of the soul's journey or experience as it gathers information, as it gathers understanding, as it grows from wherever it begins to wherever it ends, if it does. <laughs> right, the ever does. I don't, I don't know that there's an opposite to life. I think it's all complementary. I think death is complementary to life. I think our dreams are complementary to life. Whatever it is that happens to us when before we're born or after we die, it's all, it's all part of the same thing. Mm. So it's all complementary. So I'm wondering where the non-duality fits in with life. Well, I'm suggesting that there is more than two states of being. There isn't simply alive and not alive. There are, there's awareness that we can connect with, that we can tap into in a meditative state or in a moment of bliss or in a aha moment, a eureka moment, where we see an expansion that is not available to us in our day-to-day -day lives because it would take us out of our day-to-day -day lives. And we need to be here to have these day-to-day -day lives. It's part of our journey. It's part of our experience. But the idea that we would limit our experience to only two states of being doesn't sit well with me. I feel like there's an expansion that is available to us. Uh, and we don't always tap into it when we're in a human life, when we're in a physical form, because we've got work to do here that requires us to be present. But when we are no longer in a physical form, I feel like there is an opportunity there for lots of different exploration and lots of different levels of consciousness and awareness. I, I tend to see the world more as a sphere and I don't mean the shape of the planet, I mean in terms of the energy and experience rather than this or that. Yeah. It's, it's all of it. It's all encompassing. What is the purpose of this experience? Why do we have to be here in a human body? I mean, it might not be a have to, but how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. That's the question. Uh, these, are, these are concepts we could talk for days and days about. Um, <laughs> Why do we have to be here? Why not be here? Mm, yeah. I mean, really, right. we can over-intellectualize everything if we want to, or we can be in a state of acceptance where this is something that we get to do, and we are so fortunate that we get to do it. I, I tend to look at the human experience as not for the faint of heart. And by that, I mean, you don't just get to be human. In my, in my theory, in my belief system, and this is my own personal belief system, it's a bit like applying for university. You, you don't get to go to university unless you've done some schooling beforehand. 
right? Very rarely do you get to go to university without having some kind of educational background. And I feel like it's similar for the soul, that the soul chooses its experiences as it moves through these dimensions and realms that I'm talking about. And for some souls, there is a yearning for a higher education. And contrary to what some religions might teach, my belief is that this experience of being human is actually one of the highest experiences that we can have because it is the most challenging. It's very, very challenging to be limited by a physical body. It's very challenging to be at the, to feel that we're at the whim and mercy of emotions, especially if we're taught that we don't have a choice in that matter. And it can be really challenging to simply be on the planet and see the ways in which humans are capable of treating one another um, in, in both extremes. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart being human. And I feel that we, we have to really make a decision to come here. And then once we've made that decision, it's like taking any kind of educational program. We are expected or we expect for ourselves that we're going to achieve certain levels of that education. So some people, if they're going off to college or university, they might just do one degree. Some people might get their master's. Others might become, um, you know, get their doctorate or get their professorship. And and I, I feel like that analogy is really um, apropos for what it is to come down here and to be human. And so we continue to show up. We continue to have these lifetimes that we get to experience all of the ways in which our bodies can be and our minds can be and our souls can be and our energy and our love and our heart and all of it. And it takes many lifetimes. And then along the way, we decide, are we going to come back and do the master's program? Are we going to come back and do the PhD program? You know, are we going to be the avatar? Are we going to... <laughs> You just gave a very good example. I was just wondering about the uh, dropouts, people who <laughs> decided to <laughs> drop out, and some do, and that's true. Well, true, but then if we're going to go back to the belief that everything happens for a reason and a purpose, and yeah. that we have free will, if someone chooses to leave university, that doesn't mean that they've failed at university. It means mm. that they've chosen a different path. Right. So I believe that some souls will have their experience of being here and say, well, that was interesting, but I feel like I want to do something else now. <laughs> yeah, true. And they're, they're allowed to take a different, a different path. And then for those, mm. and I, I tend mm. to think of myself along these lines, for those of us that are addicted to learning, uh, we're the ones who want to keep coming back and keep coming back and go for the master's and go for the PhD and go for the doctorate. <laughs> that is so cute. I love the way you say that. <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> at this level, yeah, of um, duality still. I mean, you include everything. I love the way you do it. Life is just one thing. Everything is life. What mm -hmm. is not? That's right. True. So my next question is about freedom. What is to be free, Megan? What do you think freedom is? Mm, ultimately, freedom is the power to make choices for yourself. Mm. And whether those choices are great choices or not the best choices, it's still your opportunity to make those choices. And what I what I bridle under the most is when somebody tells me what I can and cannot do. And I can feel myself getting really like, you know, the hairs on my back up and I think, no, 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 no. You don't get to tell me what to do. I will make that decision. Thank you very much. I like that. Yeah. So when I see yeah. people in the world who, who have, whose rights are not there for them, where they really, it doesn't feel to them like they have a choice. My heart breaks for them. 
Because what I want for everyone is for everyone to have the choice, the opportunities to make choices for themselves about how they are going to live their lives, how they're going to be of service, how they're going to be in community without other people telling them what that looks like. So for me, the ultimate freedom is, is free will. It's the ability to make those choices for ourselves. Yeah, and I agree. You just mentioned something interesting, this um, idea or this obsession, I guess, with control that most of us have. And we try to control others and tell others what to do and what to choose. I'm wondering if that's coming from a place of no freedom. Maybe they don't have or never had. They don't know what that is. I think you're right. I think that's certainly part of it. I think for some people, being in control gives them a sense of comfort and familiarity, especially if that's what they have grown up with. If they've grown up in a very controlling household, they might decide that that's that they they now get to be controlling. They'll pass that along. I also think that control often comes from a place of fear, though. Mm. It's a it's a lack response. Yeah. You know, if, if I don't have what you have, then you can't have what you have if I want what you have. Wow. <laughs> so I will make it so that you can't have that thing. It, yeah. It's I think it's it's something that occurs for us at the cellular level. I feel like it is genetic, and by that I mean it's passed down in cellular memory in communities and cultures and religions and in families. And, and when we talk about an awakening, it, for me, I feel like that's when somebody wakes up and realizes that this control they think they have is an illusion, and it's not actually helping them or anybody else around them. Yeah. And that's one of those pivot points where, where the healing can start for somebody who has been so, so wounded and so scared that the only response that they have in the world is to control everybody else around them. Yeah. If they can come to a place in their lives where they recognize that that is not healthy and is not serving them, that's a place where the conversation can begin about how else could they be in the world? How else could they be showing up in the world? Yeah. How do we learn to respond and not react to those who try to impose their control over us? I remember a story I, I read years and years ago about a young woman who was taken prisoner um, somewhere in the Middle East and spent a number of years in very, very awful conditions, being treated very, very horribly. And she was, she tells the story that she was at a point of complete despair where she had tried many times to take her life, but the guards wouldn't allow it because they were getting off on her not dying, I guess, whatever their motivation was. And she said she had this moment where somebody spoke to her or she heard a, a voice or she had a feeling or a sense that the only way out was through loving mm -hmm. where she was, what was happening to her and who was doing it to her. And she chose in that moment to turn it around back onto the guards and her captors to say to them every time they entered into her cell, I love you. Not in a not in an unhealthy way, not in a you know Stockholm syndrome kind of a way, but to say simply, I see you. I see your heart. I see that you are more than your actions. I see that you are more than your beliefs. I see that you are more than what you are doing to me. And eventually, the way as I recall the story, she had such an effect and an impact on the guards and her captors that they let her go. They released her. She broke through their 
whatever their motivation was, I can't pretend to know what that is that would cause someone to be like that to another person. But whatever it was, she broke through that with that openness of her heart. And I, and I, that has always stayed with me, that story, because it's so powerful. And to be in such a desperate situation and to be so badly treated and to find a place in her own heart where she could do that for them and that that's what made that that's what saved her. Wow. It's, I think it's just so incredible. And it, it really is a testimony to what the human heart is capable of. Once we change our minds mm-hmm. about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You might be letting the heart be the master. Like back then, the mind was in control of my life and telling me what to do. So when the heart took over and the mind now was the servant, then it was a different story. My whole life changed. True. Uh, yes. Yes. And it, but again, it comes back to choice. I believe if if our mind is going to be released, if our heart is going to be opened, somewhere there needs to be a shift in the way that we're thinking about ourselves and our circumstances. Yeah. And there's another wonderful quote that I love, which is "Change not, change not my circumstances. Change myself mm. or change me." Yeah. Right? Because your circumstances are not in your control. If we're going to go back to control, the only thing that you have control over is how you show up in the world and the choices that you make. You cannot control someone else. Right. And you generally cannot control larger circumstances and situations. But where you have autonomy and you have empowerment is in how you choose to respond. And that's a, that's a place of emotional intelligence, so if, when we can open our, our emotions and we can, we can learn the purpose of our emotions or we can understand why we feel or we can have ownership over how we feel, then we can open ourselves up to that shift, shifting the mindset, changing our minds or opening the heart or however you want to, to, you know, to, to position it. It's, it really still comes down to very simply we have free will, even in the most dire circumstances, like the story that I just shared. Many people would look at that circumstance and say she had no choice, but she did. That's what gave her power. That's what gave her her power back was that she realized she had a choice. And I think that's how we open our hearts. We recognize that we're choosing to act in a certain way. And if it's that the way we're acting is harming someone else or harming ourselves, ultimately the only person who can change anything about that is the individual themselves. So true. And coming or returning and then responding from a place of love, would you say is the best and the most powerful way to respond to any circumstances in life? Yes, and I think it's also one of the most challenging for most right. people. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you know, it's very it's very easy to sit on a high on a high place and say just just respond instead of react when <laughs> yeah. we are also a reactive species and we have an instinct that kicks in. And if our emotional intelligence, if, if that muscle hasn't been exercised much in our lives to decide that we're going to respond instead of react, it, it first of all, takes a lot of courage. And secondly, takes a lot of practice to catch ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Boy, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> That is part of the experience of being human and understanding these emotions is, is what do we do with them and how are we with them? And if we can, 
if we can be kinder to ourselves when we do find ourselves reacting or maybe saying something we wish we hadn't said or doing something we wish we hadn't done, if we can be kinder to ourselves when that happens and say, right, I see what I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, I really don't want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the universe will give you an opportunity to practice again. <laughs> oh, no. It always does. Another one. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's a, like you said before, it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing journey to be in a human body going through all this. It's just mm-hmm. incredible. It really is. I, I believe so. And and I know that that is no, not necessarily the easiest thing to hear if, if a person listening is going through a very difficult time or a very challenging time. And I know in no way would make light of the kinds of things that people go through. I know some of them myself personally. Many of my clients have gone through horrendous experiences in their lives. And it's really, it's about acknowledging these experiences and understanding that they have a purpose and a reason so that we can work with the reaction or the response that the individual has to these events in their lives. Right? Instead of pretending like they're not happening, because they are happening. It's part of being human. Yeah, yeah. I love your clarity. You're so clear <laughs> about everything. <laughs> what is love to you, Megan? Mm. I would say it's the same as freedom. Love is about choice. Love is about... It's about choice. It... We don't necessarily get to choose at the uh, um, at the conscious level who we love and how we love and why we love, but it is something that's available to all of us. And I feel like it's a universal experience, that love is something that we can all tap into, that we can all experience, we can all access it. And even as I'm saying this, I can feel my heart right now, I can feel my physical heart. It feels like it's vibrating. There's, there's like a vibration going on as I'm saying this, um, that sense of expansion, right? that love is expansion. When we are in a state of expansion, we are open, we are, we're porous. And that allows, that allows us to love. It allows us to have that connection with another person and to see the other person through the lens of, of consideration and empathy and to see their brilliance and not be threatened by that brilliance. Mm, right, right. Do you connect this idea of love to acceptance, to the non-judgmental approach to life and caring for things yourself and others unconditionally? Yes. And also, hmm, there was something in there that you said that, that caught me. I think it was the unconditional piece. That's an interesting concept when it comes to love, don't you think? Yes, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, we have have this ideology that love needs to be unconditional in order for it to be pure and true. And where I get caught up on that is the idea of boundaries and how important it is to know what our boundaries are, to understand our boundaries with individual people in our lives and what that looks like and what that feels like. Because it's one thing to say, I love you unconditionally, but that's not a promise I can make if you, at some point in our relationship, turn around and do something to me or to someone else that, I, that, is, that is hurtful. 
or that is that I can't understand, that I can't that I can't um, abide by, that isn't part of my moral code, then I would have to retract that unconditional love because there was a condition that showed up where it and where in fact something has changed in the way in which I see you because of what my filters are. You know, it, it, it's it's complicated where where I'm going with this, but what I'm remembering is. Um, when I was married with, to my first husband and we said our wedding vows, when we were separating, he, he gave those vow, vow, vows back to me. And he said to me, you promised, you promised to love me forever. And now you don't. Now you broke your promise. And I really had to sit with that to, uh, to understand for myself, what is a promise? What is this idea of unconditional anything and do I have the right to tell someone that I will love them unconditionally and forever if I don't know what's going to happen in the future? Is that a fair promise to make to someone? I feel like it would be more appropriate to say, I will love you to the best of my ability for as long as I can <laughs> until something might show up that changes that for me. Wow, that would be a long vow. Oh, yeah, it's a very different one. <laughs> well, we get to make up our own vows these days. So <laughs> I agree. No, I agree, Megan. The way I understand unconditional anything, it's being able to accept and care for the situation yourself, for others, even if they do something that you don't like, that you you disagree with, but you still open. That gives you that space that you call love expansion. So we open the heart that you still can embrace everything. Like you said, but life is everything. So the heart only loves that way. Yes, absolutely. And then, but then when we bring in the boundary piece, um, and this is a lot of the work that I do with clients, because many of my clients have no idea what a boundary even is. They've never been taught that. They Their whole lives, no one, no one gave them autonomy. So they have no concept of boundary. It is absolutely true that I can unconditionally see another human being for all of their complexity and to say that is exactly who you are. The boundary piece comes in when I have the free will to say no, thank you. You are perfect for someone else, but not for me, right? Or, right? It's that. That's where I. So that's what I'm referring to in this idea of, of unconditional. Um, you know, we were talking about losing losing yourself in someone else, mm. pleasing yeah, someone no, else. Yeah, that's not the case. But that would be yeah. applied to what you said. So you still say no, but doesn't mean that you have closed your heart. You can you can say no from a loving heart. You can absolutely say no from a loving heart. And I think that that's, that's a healthy place to, to come to because then you are respecting your own boundaries, your own energy, your own needs and wants. You're not harming the other person through the loving no. You are standing up for yourself in that moment in love. Even if you say no and you say something to me now that I absolutely disagree, it will come across still as love. I'll be able to sense that. Because in the way that you speak. That, that's right. Yes, because you, you are your own unique self. And, and there's no place in that relationship for my needs, wants, or desires to take that away from you. And I would never want that to happen between myself and anyone else. Right? It's, it's to, when I think of it like this, it's to see the other person as a reflection of myself 
how would I wish myself to be treated? And my loving no might be my demonstration to the other person of how it is that I wish to be treated. And they can take that in whatever way they take it. But it's not personal to me. It's not personal how, how they choose to react or respond to my loving no. Yeah, loving no, because we are teaching a lesson at the same time on unconditional self-love too. I have one more question for you. I have to ask this one. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Uh, only one thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. List. <laughs> Very well. Yes. What is the one thing that people need right now more than anything? Oh, so, so much. Um, hmm. Well, in the immediate, I think we need a lot more hugs than we're getting. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I feel like what's what many people are missing right now in their lives is a sense of safety. That the world doesn't feel safe to a lot of people right now. And how we could bring that sense of safety in would really be very much. Um, it's it's uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, or, and, I'm, and I'm sure it exists in many religions, but it's this whole idea of love thy neighbor as you would love thyself. Yeah. How do you want to be treated? Then why would you treat someone else differently than that? Right? It's, it's really, um, it's an empathy piece around putting yourself in someone else's shoes, of being able to see another person as, again, a reflection of yourself. They are a human being just like you are. They have their fears and their worries and their loves. And their life path. And if, if you could allow them to have that, would this be a better world? Oh, wow. And that sense of safety allows us to express ourselves. It allows us to be who we are and who we came here to be. If we don't feel safe in sharing ourselves, then we will always be a pale representation of our potential. Okay, so let's talk about your work. <laughs> How did you become a writer, Megan? I've always been a writer. Uh, even as a small child, I still have my my diaries from when I was five years old. I remember actually the very first diary I got. It had one of those little keys on it. Um, I got it for my fifth birthday, I think. And even before then, I remember my mother telling me that I was always scribbling things down. I was always writing things out and creating things. Uh, and then for many years, I didn't. I had other things going on. I was growing up. I I had relationships and career paths that were very different from what I'm doing now. What always was consistent, however, was a desire to express in a way that could be uh, held, that there was a permanency to the written word. My father was a journalist his whole life, uh, a reporter and a journalist and then a publisher of a, a large newspaper up here in Canada. So I grew up in a household full of ideas. And my mother was very creative. She was very artistic. She was a writer. She was a beautiful writer, but she never believed in herself. And I suppose it hadn't really occurred to me that I could call myself a writer or an author, even though I had been given lots of um, lots of validation through essays and homework assignments and projects and things like that while I was in school. I did a lot of writing in school until I sat down to start writing The Heart's Journey. And, the, and what was different for me about writing The Heart's Journey is that it was a personal account. It's a personal story. 
And that was the biggest challenge. And that was one of the things that opened my heart, cracked my heart wide open, was the realization that I have a story to share and my story has value because other people have a, same, a similar story. And in my telling my story and sharing my story, even if only one person in the entire world is touched by that and knows that they can heal their heart as well, then I'm, I've done my work. I'm, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. How beautiful. That's very mm -hmm. compassionate, right? So speaking of the story, talk to me for a moment about your heart's journey, the wake-up calls you had. I, I came from a very loving family in many, many ways, and I'm very grateful for the childhood that I had. And when I became a teenager, my parents separated, and I watched as my mother's heart was broken over and over again. And I watched as she became a smaller and smaller version of herself because her entire sense of herself was wrapped up in whether or not she was lovable enough. And her belief was that she was not lovable. And that was why my father left. And she carried that with her for a very long time. Actually, she carried it right to her death. And I saw that and knew that I didn't want that to be me. So in order for that to not be me, I became very open uh, with my loving and with my heart, too open. I swung and I, I swung in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Where uh, when mm. we talk about you know that pleasing piece, that was me. Yeah. That was me. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I be there for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? And when it came to relationships, I lost. I would lose myself in the experience of the other person. All of which is part of what got me to the place where I, where I had the wake up call in that moment. So I, I don't regret any of it. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's more the understanding of my heart was sore. It was sore for a very long time because there were places in my relationship where I was not being seen. I was desperately trying to get noticed. I was competing against other, other shiny things, <laughs> if you will. Um. Yeah. And, and, and my heart would break each time that happened. But I didn't know that that's what was happening. I didn't see that that's what was happening. I just plowed through until I couldn't do it anymore. And the first experience that I had of a partner seeing me, it, the, there was no going back from that. If you've ever been seen, just seen, who you are with no no need to make up excuses for yourself or apologize for anything <laughs> that you are it's it's a life-changing experience and there really is no going back from it and once my heart held that experience of being seen and and just loved um, I knew a lot of things in my life were going to have to change which they did. And they did. I was about to say it. <laughs> and they did. Right, right. I love the yeah. way you wrote in your book, while you talk about the journey, your journey, you say, I knew that I wanted to expand my spirituality. I wanted to remember myself. I love that, especially that remembering yourself. Yeah, most of us forget. Yes, uh, yeah, for lots of reasons. Um, and I certainly had forgotten. 
and and I had allowed myself to become very, very small in my understanding of an expression of myself. I lost my voice, literally and and figuratively. And part of my heart's healing was finding my voice again, bringing my voice back, finding the authentic places inside of myself and and doing the work. And it was terrifying and scary and vulnerable and courageous. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what I know is that if I can do that, anybody can do that. There's nothing special about me that I could do that. I did it with a lot of help. I did it with a lot of insight. I did it with that courage that I was talking about. If I can do it, anybody can do it. That's part of my mission is in the empowerment, is empowering people to see what's possible for themselves. And to see, to see that, we have to move through all the things that we've put in the way of that. And usually those are a lot of broken hearts. Yeah, true. Wow. So I'm wondering for this pleasing others state of mind of being, it happens more to women than men. I think in general, we could safely say that, at least in our culture um, and in our history, that is an expectation that um, a woman's role is to look after all the people around her and make sure that they are okay and safe, which on one hand is a beautiful role to be in. But on the other, it can be abused, and it often is for women. Um, there is an ex- I think there's a collective experience that many women have uh, that they are considered or uh, treated as less than their male counterparts. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of men in the world, and, and I work with some of them, who have also been brought up with this idea that they have to please. I think they just do it in a different way. There's a different kind of pleasing that men do to what women do. And so between the two genders or sexes or whatever, the, between the masculine and the feminine, both are hurting right now. Both masculine and feminine have a lot of wounding. And for each per, if, if each person is willing to do their work to heal their their both their masculine and feminine within themselves. I think we would be in much better relationship with one another mm-hmm. between the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's a very interesting subject. Most of us think about the feminine, that energy being the female body, and then the masculine energy, the male body, but actually we have both. Yeah. And it's about the harmony, it goes back to that word. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it is. It is about the harming, and a, a lot, a large body of the work that I do, especially when I'm teaching my uh, my healers program, is about acknowledging and recognizing the the wounded masculine and the wounded feminine, and then feeling into what the healed feminine and the healed masculine are like, mm-hmm. and how can we be in harmony between the healed aspects of ourselves, the both the masculine and the feminine, and I think what it requires is a redefining of actually what is masculine and what is feminine. True. Our culture tends to look at the feminine as being the softer, gentler, but there are other cultures out there that do not, and they recognize the strength and the fierceness uh, and the ability to give and take life that the feminine has. And if all you have to do is look at the gods in, a, in any culture to see their, the culture's view of the masculine and the feminine. 
you know, if you look to the pantheon of the, the saints and the gods and and what they represent and what they do and who prays to them for what, <laughs> you'll see you'll see the cultures that that have embraced the the fierceness of the feminine um, and and to, and even who have embraced the the softer creative spirit of the masculine. I think we can learn a lot by studying and looking at other cultures' ideas of masculine and feminine to see what fits for us. So it takes more understanding. I love this idea of knowledge, understanding that leads to love. Absolutely. Yeah. And the word that comes to mind, Valerie, right now is continuum. Mm. You know, if, we're, if we're, we started talking at one point earlier about duality, and so duality would look at the yin and the yang, it would look at the masculine and the feminine, but the continuum would recognize where within a, a woman there lies the masculine and where within a man there lies the feminine and not pigeonhole each into um, specific expectations simply based on the fact that they are male or female. Right, yeah, these solid ideas, yeah, of who we are, right? Do you think that we are walking in this direction, in this moment? I sure hope so. Me too. <laughs> I sure yeah. hope so. Honestly, I my whole life I've I've... I've said so many times, why, why can we not just get along? Why, why do we have to fight with each other? Why do we have to be cruel to one another? There's so much beauty in the world. There's so much generosity in the world. Why can't we lead with that? And I feel like in this day and age, because of the accessibility of ideas for many, many people, far more than there's ever been, there's a potential that we could be moving out of what I call the teenage years of human evolution, and and into a more mature and perhaps calmer, <laughs> a more adult approach. <laughs> right, mature and calmer. I like that. <laughs> right. Where we're willing to take responsibility for ourselves and our actions and our thoughts and not continually blame our actions and thoughts on other people, but rather to see what's ours and own and own that as because that is part of that that evolution of becoming an adult is the realization that oh actually that's on me right <laughs> yes without losing the magic of the child i guess I, yeah. yes that would absolutely. be perfect i mean if there is such a thing as perfection i think i think so yeah talk to me for a moment about the healing oracle cards they're so beautiful like i said to you earlier before the uh, recording I picked some of them. So how do we use them? Yes. Well, these, these are, so these are called Oracle cards. You could also call them wisdom cards. You could call them meditation cards. The idea and intention with these cards is that each card has an image on it. In my case, in my deck, it's images of hearts that I found in nature that I took photographs of as I was coming out of that 23 year marriage and looking for a sign or a symbol that was really going to help me to follow my heart. And the universe has a really good sense of humor because it turned out to be hearts. Okay. <laughs> and and as I, and this, this is personalizing my deck, but as I took each photo, there was something going on in my life in that moment that, that required that heart to show up for me. And so on my cards, on the back of the card, there is the message of that heart, there is the meaning of that heart, which is the beautiful thing about Oracle cards is that there's there's no limit to what imagery, what messages can be used on a deck of Oracle cards. Whereas a tarot deck 
is a similar similar process, but there's a very specific story in the tarot that is the journey of life, and you follow through that journey. And so there's symbolism on the on each card that are specific to the experiences that that card is speaking to. So it's a little bit more structured than with the oracle cards. And then the idea with the oracle cards is basically it's a it's an intuition tool. It's an opportunity and an, and um, uh, an option or yeah, it's an opportunity to connect with. A, a thought that could change your day or could change your life. And of course, in my case, it's the thoughts about the heart and loving and heartbreak and heart healing. So some of the ways that you can work with them is what you did before we started, which was to choose cards. So you can shuffle the cards, you can throw them all down on the ground, you could do them in a fan and just allow your either your eyes to be drawn to a particular image or color or just intuitively feel. Some people like to put their hands over the cards and they feel a pull to a particular card. It's trusting your body's intuition for what you need to hear in that moment. And then you pull that card. And what I teach people for working with these tools is always begin, well, always, <laughs> there's, no, there's no finites. You could choose to begin with the image on the front before you even look at what the message is and just see what it evokes for you. What, what comes up for you when you look at it, the colors, the texture, the words, the image, the shape, all of that. Let your own higher self pick up on the nuances and symbolisms and importance of those images. And then for a deeper understanding, perhaps, of its meaning, that's when you would turn it over and you would read the message that's on the back. And for me and for these cards, every message that's on these cards is something that I experienced. That's why I say that it's a personal um, it's a biography <laughs> of my experiences. And then in the in the box set that I've created, there's a beautiful guidebook. And in the guidebook, there's more information for each of these beautiful heart images. So you can take your understanding and learning deeper into each of the stories that the heart holds to see if there's a resonance for you, if there's something in the wording or the messaging that rings true for you. You can also just pull one card. Some people pull a card in the morning and they think about the message all day long and they see places in their life where, where that message could maybe be helpful or they pass that message on to someone else who really needs to hear it in that moment. Uh, other people pull a card at night and use that message to fall asleep to and to see what might come through in their dreaming. I have teachers who use this deck. I have counselors who use this deck, doctors who use this deck, engineers who use it for all sorts of different reasons. Some people use it as a healing tool for others and, and other people use it as a healing tool for themselves and then for their own heart's journey. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways of working with them. Yeah, this is wonderful. Well, one of the things that was really important to me when I, when I realized that I was going to create a healing tool out of these heart images, which originally were just for me, I had them on my cell phone, I would look through them. Nobody knew they existed. They were just for me. I just, I needed them to remind myself to follow my heart above all other voices as I was going through this really challenging time and making really difficult decisions. And, and these photos brought me back to that. When I decided to make this into the healing tool, what I wanted people to have the experience of was seeing the hearts just the way that I saw them. So there's very little editing on these photos. These are as I took the photos. These are as I came across these hearts in nature and that, that moment of reminding myself. And, I, and to this day, I still see hearts and I still take photos of them. And I'm often posting, if you go to my Instagram, you'll see there's loads of them or you know, my Facebook page or, or LinkedIn, there's tons. I'm constantly, and people are constantly sending me heart images as well. 
for a lot of people, once they started working with the, the Heart's Journey Oracle cards, that's when they started seeing hearts everywhere as well. I think I mentioned that before about the mind being in service of the heart. So that's what it means. Now your mind is just um, has expanded and the heart is in as the master. And you're seeing life as a heart in a way. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. How that's right. And what I what I believe about the mind is that the mind is not the brain. The mind is the body. The mind is our whole body. We feel with our bodies. We make decisions with our bodies. When we learn to listen to our body and what our body is experiencing and, and expressing to us, we can be in a different kind of relationship with our body. And that's a hugely healing experience for a lot of people if they've had an extreme disconnect from their body and they've learned not to trust their body. Part of the healing process is to bring them back into harmony and resonance with their body and see it as this beautiful vessel that takes them through life with the heart being at the center mm, yes. of that physical body. Yeah, I love that idea of having compassion for the vessel, as you call it, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> True. Yeah. So I'm almost at the end of the interview. I have a few more questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Megan? Oh, I would love to read a passage in my book. Yeah. Okay, hang on a moment. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, here's, here's one from the very beginning of the book as I'm telling my story, as I'm sharing my story. It was when my, my husband and I tried couples counseling and they, uh, the counselor asked us, what did my heart want? And I didn't have an answer. And I write here, her question struck a chord, however, and I began to open up to possibilities I had never considered before. Perhaps my husband or I could stay friends while having a trial separation, or I could move into the two-bedroom suite on the main floor of our home and our girls could have free run of the house. Maybe I could be on my own for a while to find out who I really was. Possibly one of his old flames could come back into his life, and he would be happier with her than I knew he was with me. Could any of these scenarios save our relationship? But in the quiet of the night as my family slept, I knew none of these options would work. There was too much pain and hurt between us. But we continued to try, with weekends away and long, exhausting talks far into the night. It was agonizing and painful. I would look at our beautiful daughters, wondering what would come of this. I was in anguish, desperate not to hurt them or him, while feeling such a pull to follow my heart, knowing the path ahead was fraught with danger and full of the unknown. And desperate for a sign or a clue from the universe that I was on the right path, I asked to be shown my symbol, one I would recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt as being from spirit, one that would tell me to stay the course that everything would work out for the highest good of us all. And it turned out to be those beautiful hearts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that question. And that's interesting because I have that question here I didn't mention. And that's one of the, the things about your journey that called my attention. I said, yeah, asking that question, it's profound and powerful. Yes, it is. What does your heart want? And, and I, I work with this question with people all the time when they come to me and they're in that space that I was in of anguish and despair and just wanting so desperately not to hurt anybody, but knowing that I was, I was dying inside. That question was so profoundly shifting for me because I'd never asked it before. It's that pleasing piece. I could easily ask what your heart wanted, but I could not ask what mine did or what mine wanted. Well, this is changing <laughs> from all <laughs> the conversations I have and all the listeners that we have. So there are more people looking for this understanding. So that's wonderful to know. 
Yes, yeah, I believe that there are. I believe people have come, many people are coming to a space and a place in their lives where the old way of being has served its purpose. Yeah. And with love in their hearts, they could choose to let that be and invite something new and fresh into their hearts and in the way in which they see themselves in the world. How do you define success? What is success to you these days? In one sense, success for me is being able to spend more time with my family, with my daughters and with my, my now husband um, in, our, in the space that we love, which is uh, at our cottage actually over here on Main Island. I've reached a point in my career where I have such a body of work. I have so many students who've gone through my courses and been certified. I've, I've created this bulk of the healing, um, a bulk of healing resources for people through the YouTube channel and through my books and my writing. I feel like my, my validation of my success is that I can actually step back from it a little bit and be gentler to myself as a businesswoman <laughs> to not be so driven uh, because I've created enough now that people can find their own way to it. Uh, and I still love working with my clients and I love teaching and I love with working with all my students, but there's a sense of ease and peacefulness around it now that, that to me is a definition of success. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that resonates. <laughs> mm -hmm. too. Because it's about what's important to us, right? And I feel like all the hard work is, is, a, is to create a space in which the things that are most important can be the things that get our attention. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? My first response was no. <laughs> that was my reaction. <laughs> no. And then I feel like that's a disservice to my children. If, if I knew that, that I was going to be shuffling off this mortal coil, I would put everything down and let the world take care of itself so that I could be with them and my immediate family. That would be what I would do. Wonderful. Yeah, I like both the reaction and the response. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, both of them are in alignment. So the last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know that we are far wiser than we ever give ourselves credit for. That we have a wisdom that is beyond limits. I know that the world is full of beautiful, amazing, incredible people and experiences. And I know that we have potential. Uh, we are, the, as a species, we are on a journey. And while we are capable right now of doing some pretty horrible things to one another, we are so much more than that. And I really believe that that's, we're going to outgrow that. I really believe that in, in my heart to be true, that as a species, um, we're going to outgrow that. We're going to find we don't need it any longer. Mm. And all the fear that everybody's experiencing and has been for many thousands of years will shift into, and it may sound utopia, but maybe it is. Mm. Maybe it is utopia. What's wrong with that, Why right? Not? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Right. We've tried it one way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I know this because I see it in people. I see how beautiful people are and and I see their wounding and I know that it's the wounding that they're hiding behind and once the wounding is healed then then they don't have to they don't have to be that way anymore and I believe that's what our evolution is 
is about. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your clarity. I love your clarity and your presence, your peaceful presence. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Valeria. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can find me on uh, LinkedIn at Megan Edge Healing, YouTube. I'm also at Megan Edge Healing. I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram, again, Megan Edge or Megan Edge Healing. My website is meganedge.ca. And we're just doing a website update right now, and there's going to be all kinds of amazing offerings for online learning um, and downloadable courses and programs as we go into the tail end of 2020 and into the new year. And I'm really excited about so that more people can have access to the, the teachings that I have and the work that I do. Yes. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. I look forward to it. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Megan Edge and her work, please visit meganedge.ca. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.